Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, real ketones, clean burning ketones for athletic performance and fat loss. And check out the bradkearns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. When I talk to people, and I, yeah, I'm doing this podcast, I'm starting a new podcast called Get Over Yourself. It's going to be an accoutrement to my other podcast where I talk about just diet and exercise, and they're like, podcast? What's that? And so, like, about a third of the people I talk to don't even know what it is or don't consume any podcast, and they pick up their phone, and they're like, yeah, I can get it, like, on my phone or something? <laughs> is it like a radio show? You know, they don't even know. Let's talk about some difficulties that athletes have training and balancing their busy life and making sure they're supporting their kids on soccer Saturday and stuff and, and things that aren't going to come out when you have um, a dressed up performance. And that's what we've been programmed brainwashed with our entire lives is bullshit celebrities telling us how great life is and brushing over anything that doesn't match their brand. We'll put a picture of us three up on YouTube mm -hmm. and just have it there for an hour and people can look at <laughs> a still photo. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit, cutting edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email the super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal and you get 30% off if you just put in the code. G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to a different flavor of a show. This time, I become, for the most part, the interviewee in a wild and wacky session with the dynamic duo from the 
epic Trail Runner Nation podcast. If you're an endurance athlete, especially a trail runner, these guys, Dr. Don Freeman and Scott War, have got it going on. They've been cranking out awesome podcasts for the trail runner community, building that trail runner community for many, many years. They're very smooth and professional. They have a killer studio. I've been there many times to appear on their show. And this time we got together with no agenda, just sat around, put all the fancy high-tech equipment on, and started talking. So I think you'll enjoy it. And I talk a lot about my background, the inspiration for the Get Over Yourself podcast, the importance of getting over ourselves in everyday life, the influence of genetics, not only on things like your performance, whether you can do a high jump or a 100-mile run, but also on your sources of motivation. Are there genetic components to that? We kept going off on different tangents, which is our specialty. We talked about the importance of drinking only the healthiest and cleanest wines, especially as an athlete. Wine? Hey, don't whine. I'm explaining the show as advertised as an assortment of tangents, asides, interruptions, circle backs, and lots of fun. So if you're used to those podcasts that have that distinct pattern of interview questions and a start to finish progression, sometimes it's fun to sit back and just let it flow as you commute home or go on your jog monitoring your maximum aerobic heart rate. So Check out the Trail Runner Nation podcast if that type of activity interests you. We syndicated the show on their network. And oh my gosh, you got to get a load of this guy, Don Freeman. After the show, he headed out to the French Alps to compete in a six-day ultra marathon run, 225 miles with 90,000 feet of vertical elevation gain over the high-altitude trails traversing Les Alpes. Yeah, these ultra-running folks are an amazing breed. They basically start out, the gun goes off, they lock into their comfortable pace, they're striding, they're pace-walking up the mountains, they're jogging on the flats, they got their routine going, they got their food, they got their provisions, they're transporting by backpack. And get this, Don's strategy for this lengthy race, I mean, it's a nonstop race. You go and then you go until you finish. He's hoping to finish in five days, but his strategy is to sleep for one hour per every eight hours of running. That's right, three hours of sleep a day, and the rest of the time, you are round the clock. Just keep on moving one step at a time. I know it's not something that everyone wants to do, but I think it's fascinating to get the insights from people that push the very limits of human endurance and human performance. So we're going to have Don on the podcast for an interesting show. I told him upon his return from Les Alpes, see how it went. Thank you for listening to this wacky wild conversation with Dr. Don Freeman and Scott War of the Trail Runner Nation podcast. Enjoy. Here's what I think is interesting and attractive about podcasts is that it calls back to the times before television and radio where people just sat around a table or by a shade tree and talked. Sat on the porch? Sat like, on the porch and talked Like Mayberry RFD? <laughs> I like that. That's, that's a good insight. That's and, true. And, and I think we yeah. miss that. And I that's think right. we're, we're all going down the road looking at our phones or we're tuning out because we're tuning into something else. But we really crave just being a community and, and being with one another and exchanging ideas and listening. And I really think that's what podcasts allow is for that, that communication again. And yeah. they're free. And that, <laughs> that too. Most of them, yeah. yeah. But you know what? It's also there's a, a little bit of a breakdown 
of the performance and the posturing aspect of mainstream media. So when I go on the Today Show to promote my book or something, I got four and a half minutes. I've been drilled in my talking points by my PR person who's holding my hand until I walk out onto stage. And then they say, so tell us about the ketogenic diet. Well, it's really low in carbs and you burn fat and you get a six pack. Like, check this out. You know, everything's scripted and it's very superficial and it's not, it's not real where at least in, in my ambition in the podcast is like, let's talk about some difficulties that athletes have training and balancing their busy life and making sure they're supporting their kids on soccer Saturday and stuff and, and things that aren't going to come out when you have um, a dressed up performance. And that's what we've been programmed, brainwashed with our entire lives is bullshit celebrities telling us how great life is and brushing over anything that doesn't match their brand. Tiger Woods, shout out, mofo. Why are you friends with Trump? Seriously. <laughs> Yesterday I found out he's buddies with Trump and he played golf with Trump. And they asked him about it and he's like, I'm too tired. I just played a big tournament. I don't want to talk. But something like that. Yeah. It's like, come on, dude. This is not a political show, so we won't go there. Um, but Michael Jordan never stood for anything in the history of his career except for Nike and his brands. And enough of that, about that already. Now we got athletes coming on and talking for an hour, two hours, unplugged, and, and getting real. Unplugged. And that's, where, yeah. that's, where I, that's the value that I like, is getting to know someone and what they're really all about instead of their brand. Because there's no script here, obviously. We're we're a trail running podcast. We've talked about wine. We've <laughs> we're, talked. We're, we're we're down the trail. We're we're down the trail we're two way, miles. Way down the trail. We haven't even started the podcast, and we're talking for 15 <laughs> minutes. So, uh, yeah. So, Brad, um, did you really go on the Today Show? First, I gotta I gotta tell you guys, you gotta <laughs> video this thing. Yeah. You, you need to start videoing. You're that big time already. Because yeah. I mean, you you Who see, wants Rich to Roll? look at us. You see Ritual, Tim Ferriss, now, now all yeah. the podcasts are on video, and there's two guys talking into a mic, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan too. Yeah. Joe yeah. Rogan video. He's Nobody's bigger than Joe. Yeah, he's got 500,000 views of his video of two guys talking. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But that extra element of the facial expressions and the raucous laughter that we shield our mouths from the microphone so that the listener won't hear, we got to get that on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, what, was it, what was your question, <laughs> sir? I don't Were know. you really on the Today Show? No. Oh. So it was a <laughs> hypothetical example. He was on Oprah. <laughs> Mark Sisson was for our Keto Reset Diet book yeah. that I'm the co-author. Mark's the the prominent guy there, he got on the Today Show for six minutes, did a fantastic job, and yeah. helped the lady out with her uh, health goals, and she was trying keto, and so it was a great little introduction to what it's all about, but if you want to know more, you go on YouTube and watch our hour-long conversation or listen to the podcast that I do every week on it where I'm talking to real people, and you know, one guy in Hong Kong was, was 400 pounds, and now he's 189, and these are you know amazing things that we can dig deep and get to on a, on a whole different level then listen to the celebrities talk more so primal endurance podcast episode one it's where you and mark both lay out the ketogenic diet and how being a fat burner is more efficient and more effective than uh you know eating a bunch of foil sugar goos right that is the best podcast because it really just lays everything out and it's it's just educational I've listened to that more than once. Right on. Go yeah. listen to show number one. I like that. Yeah. Maybe well, that's all you should listen to, and the rest of it's just <laughs> blather. And then show Hi, number... Brad Kearns again, ready to tell you some more shit no, I already no, did there's show there, number one. There is gold in them, their podcast. Well, number, I've listened to Episode three, I think, is Timmy Olsen. So, I mean, and there you're right there with the... Uh, I'm right the, there with him on um, at Mile 80, and then he dropped me. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> hey, so you, you did mention earlier this... Get over yourself. Is this a this is a new podcast that you're starting? And w tell us a little bit about that. 
Why, thank you, Scott. <laughs> You're can now I, on the Today Show. My, you have four I, minutes. Can Go. I have my piece of paper back that I scratched over, <laughs> held a big sign in front of your face? Ask me about Get Over Yourself. I have it in my oh, show notes my right gosh. here. Oh, my gosh. Go. Here we go. And we'll be right back after a commercial. Hey, why did you yeah. pick the name Get Over Yourself? Because you could have picked any name you wanted. You picked that name. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I have to give a, give credit to my man, Eddie Boy, Eddie the Ashcan Man, yeah. former uh, Ironman triathlete and listening to the show in Newport Beach. And um, he was a star quarterback in high school, and he was trying to win the game for his team, Rio Americano, uh, throwing touchdown passes to his brother all the time. And he, he was coming from behind and about to do this triumphant victory, and he threw a pick six. So for you trail runners that don't know football, he yeah. threw a pass to the wrong color shirt. <laughs> that guy caught it and ran to the opposite end zone for a touchdown. So he lost the game for his team. He was crushed. He was devastated. He couldn't sleep. He woke up in the middle of the night and started practicing throwing the ball through the tire, mm. just like old times, and then hitting mm-hmm. the canvas backdrop dropping to the ground. That's so Rocky Balboa stuff. It's Rocky Balboa yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Middle of the night, right? Yeah. He's just, you know, working through his, his disappointment, his anger, and trying to get better. And so you hear this repeating thud sound against the backdrop in the middle of the night. And so his father comes out, who was a longtime football coach, a star in his own right back in the day. And he opens up the door and he gave like the best piece of fatherly advice that you could ever imagine in that situation. And if you, if you um, can guess... At that time, when here's this kid, you know, seemingly doing everything that would touch your heart as, uh, as a parent, that he's trying so hard and he, he wants to be so good that he's throwing passes and his dad comes out on the porch and says, Ed, get over yourself. <laughs> wise, wise father. Uh, yeah. It's a little risky, right? Right. <laughs> but the father knew at that time what the kid needed uh, to get back into that proper quarterback champion competitor mindset was to get over yourself. You threw a pick six. You tried hard. Come back the next game. He, if he kept talking, he would have said, look, man, so what? You threw a pick six. You tried. Get back up. Practices tomorrow. You know, practices Monday morning. Get ready to bring the heat and don't be afraid to throw those passes down the middle because that's, you know, that's the quarterback mindset that's necessary. You can't you be apprehensive. You need yeah. to take risks to, to be successful. And once you fall on the trail and you trip over something and, and catch a toe, you can't be afraid to continue to go down the trail after you pick yourself up. Or, or take it out hard, right? Like yeah. Rich Hanna oh, yeah. going out uh, and blowing doors off the Western States 100 course and coming up to mile 90 and having his kidneys shut down and being airlifted to Roseville Hospital. But it's like, that dude went for it, man. And he was yeah. on record pace and he made it to mile 90. And most people would, you know, come and give him his condolences that he failed because he failed to cross the finish line and break the record. But it's like, no way, man. That dude flew 90 miles across the Sierra and he gave all his body had and he got airlifted out. I'd be giving him a standing ovation when the helicopter took off from 49 Crossing, you yeah. know. Anyway. Rich Hanna is such a, a legend around he, he's, here, certainly. He's, he's a guy who is stronger than his body, his mind and yeah. his, um, you know, his, his competitive intensity. Yeah. I've, I've often wondered that if we could somehow take, you know, say my brain and put it in, in you, what kind of athlete would you be? How limiting is my own brain to performance or, or vice versa? If I could have your world championship, third in the world professional triathlete brain in my head, what could I do with this body? Where is my weak point? Yeah. You know, body or mind? I don't know. And if you could somehow exchange them, it would be interesting to find out 
what's holding what back. Well, Does that make what, sense? Um, what's his name? Jordan Peele did that in the movie, right? Uh, help me. I, Get Out. Movie? Did you see the movie Get Out? It was no. nominated for Academy Awards. No, what uh, what year? The, the prim- this last year. <laughs> Don, Don, Don doesn't watch movies. I, I'm not yeah. against he, movies. He, he still hasn't seen Star Wars. No, I haven't. I'm not neither, against neither movies. Neither did I. I never got into that stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to watch uh, it. You guys are both losers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, Sorry, So fans. what do you get over yourself, that? Brad? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that's a new podcast, Scott. It's yeah. funny how you work that in there. Hey, um, Listeners, don't worry. I'm taking notes. I will answer the question in due time. But this is a super interesting and important thing to reflect on. And I thought about it a long time. Like, what part of talent is, and, and you know, oh, he's a genetically gifted trail runner. Right. He's got really long limbs and his calf muscles are lean and sinewy and, and you know, his, his heart pumps a lot of blood and he's got a high VO2 max. They tested him at UC Davis. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the brain? And I feel like more and more, that brain could be the real genetic gift of those people that are champions in any sport, especially golf or something, where right. how yeah. do you sink a four-foot putt? Is it by practicing a 1,000 hours? Not necessarily. Talk to Christopher Smith and Eugene Oregon, my speed golf guru, about context specificity in practice and how practicing does not necessarily transra- translate to the competitive arena. So what is it about that champion? What's the, and then in your example, like what if you transplanted your brain with um, someone like Rich Hanna who refuses to give up until, right. you know... He probably wouldn't even sign up for the race if he had my brain. <laughs> well, I mean, look, man, you ran you ran two hundred miles yeah. nonstop, right? How many a, hours? A few times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> is uh, that your longest? I mean, your yeah, longest. Two forty. So, if you were sitting next to somebody on an airplane and they asked you, like, what's you know, what's your proudest accomplishment? Would you say that you ran two hundred forty freaking miles? No, I oh. probably would just overlook it because I wouldn't want to. It's raising my children to be that's right young it, young people of that's great character. Exactly it. He, yeah. he he would say I I made it to my flight on time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. I didn't miss the flight. Good pop off. <laughs> but you know you have that uh, that brain and that will to compete that's in the you know one tenth of one percentile of the planet and that you know this physical work that you perform to run that far is. There, there was a discussion about this recently with the leading uh, professional cyclists and triathletes of the day that arguably they've performed more work than any human in the history of humanity because work is mass times force, right? So if mm-hmm. you're pedaling a bicycle at 250 watts and you're training for the tour and you're going 700 miles a week, that amount of work that you perform is not even close to being approximated by our hunter-gatherer ancestors nor our industrial revolution workers that work 14 hours a day. Not even close wow. in terms of pure work. Right. So you're training and competing these races and doing a 240-mile event is one of the highest human performances in the history of humanity of two and a half million years to go that far in one day. Our, Pheidippides ran 26 miles and collapsed and died, right? So <laughs> you went 10 times that. Uh, so there's something going on in there that, um, you know, it's, that's, a, that's a tremendous gift or something that you've developed and, and honed by whatever repeated exposure to challenges. I don't know. So, so let's, let's get back to this new podcast. Um, what kind of things are you talking about on Get Over Yourself? What is the theme? Yeah, so you know, I've hosted the Primal Endurance podcast for a few years, the Primal Blueprint podcast. We've been going for five years, and generally the topic is about primal living, diet, exercise. The endurance stuff is about endurance training. So I wanted to kind of branch out because I feel like to be the best person you can be, you got to look at all different elements and factors. So this show is designed to to broaden the content into 
peak performance, personal growth, happiness, relationships, longevity, all these things that are of great interest to me, uh, trying to do my best to balance my roles as a, a parent and a partner and a career person and all, all the things that I want to be good at and the great content that I've listened to that's inspired me from experts in the area of sleep or interpersonal relationships or parenting. And so I've had an amazing smattering of guests talking about all kinds of different different topics, but they all kind of, you know, relate and direct toward, I guess you're supposed to have, do you know about this marketing thing? You're supposed to have no. an avatar. You're supposed to have your listenership avatar, like your ideal person or your envisioned target audience. Mm. So I'm envisioning a guy in a yellow sweatsuit <laughs> who's like trying to not take himself too seriously. And so that the Eddie Boy story is great. I had to get that out there. But also, um, it's it's a great goal to work together on. I'm working every day on getting over myself, not taking myself too seriously, but just going for it and competing as hard as I can, not fearing failure, not caring what people who are judgmental think of me, just do my best and honor my own values and my own belief system and try to make a contribution to the planet and all those high ideal goals. But it requires getting over yourself. And today we're kind of drifting in that direction of the social media and the posturing and the performing where and, and the consumption and the affluence and all these things that are impure influences that are throwing people off and making them in many ways feel not good enough, inferior to the, the celebrity or the, the, the person who's, you know, the, the, the wealthiest person among all your friend group or whatever. We're always kind of uh, feeling uh, insignificant and, and just not, uh, not at peace with who we are and where we are today at this moment. So that's the long answer of why I titled the show that way. Do you, do you think that in this uh, day and age where we have more social media and I, I would even make the stretch of saying that a lot of that social media is biased or fake, um, you know, no. No, no, no one goes out and, and, and posts a photo of them tripping on the trail with blood and mud all over them. They, they post the picture of them jumping through the finish line. And being able to not only jump through the finish line, but also go to the PTA meeting and and being the greatest, you know, parent there is, they don't show the failures. And so that's what we measure ourselves up against as these all these people on social media that have it all and have the balance when in reality, you know, they're they're going through some of the same struggles and challenges that we do. And maybe more because that's why they're posting a a false Uh image. They're, they're, they're overcorrecting. Yeah. This, yeah. this article I read yesterday was the, um, the highest users of Facebook have the lowest level of life satisfaction, the, co- the inverse correlation, hmm. like the most frequent users. And all that's, I think, um, now sort of acknowledged and obvious and recognized. But I think the, the real pain and suffering that's not recognized is our addiction to um, hyperstimulation and connectivity. And that's something that I'm really uh, concerned about myself and wanting to uh, improve because, you know, like I, I was talking to this uh, mindfulness expert, Dr. Elisha Goldstein, on the show, a future, future show. And, you know, I was uh, remembering how I turned off all my notifications on my phone. So I don't even have a texting. I got nothing, man. I'm just like, I'm not going to be a slave to that thing. Is that why you didn't answer? Maybe so. <laughs> That's why I never answer. You know? And so it feels good not to have the constant dinging and the noise and all that stuff. But guess what? I'm constantly reaching for my phone because I want to make sure no one texted me about a change in time schedule, whatever. So I'm still addicted. And, and addicted means doing a behavior consciously over and over and over until it becomes 
unconscious until it becomes habit. So one day, once upon a time, we hit click and we press the uh, the connection button to AOL and it dialed up. <laughs> Young listeners don't know what I'm talking about, but we used to have <laughs> dial-up connections and you had to physically go through this motion of like booting up a computer and figuring out how to open this window and click onto your email and all that stuff. And now it's just like, it's so, it's so much Instant. part of our lives. We don't even realize the negative impact because it, in today's youth, don't even realize it because they never had a comparative point of being disconnected or having uh, live interpersonal interaction be their one and only rather than the digital world. I just went to Colorado for a few days and four days and, and ran up there to getting ready for this next event that's coming. We want to get a little um, altitude training. And there wasn't any connection there at Estes Park. There, there wasn't any. Estes. It, whatever. Estes. Estes. It, you're not from Colorado. It's called Estes Park. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right, get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new 
zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. I'll edit that out. Thank thank you, Colorado people. I mean, you're welcome, Colorado people. I I pronounced it correct for you. So I was in Colorado. And uh, <laughs> no connection, and it was liberating. I was up to my ass in altitude at some town. I forgot what it's called. Anyway, it was liberating not to have, you know, n- you couldn't even look. You couldn't even check. So you didn't have that compulsory, let me see, did I miss a text? Nothing's there. That's why you didn't send me any photos when I asked you to. Well, I didn't even see the question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I will tell you, I, I, I have some faith in today's Youth, youth. I was just with uh, a whole bunch of fourteen to to eighteen year olds uh, for a couple days at, at this camp, and they all committed to shutting off social media for three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Are they going to make no it? social media? I don't know, <laughs> but they all they all were on board. I mean, I didn't hear anybody say, "Nah, I can't do that." There's a lot so of at least account- they're going to try. And There's a lot of accountability because if you say you're going to, and all of a sudden you're posting stuff. And, and what if they don't make it three weeks? What That's if they make it two? two? Yeah. That's still better than, and, and it gives them, I think, uh, a perspective that maybe they've never had. That they, since they were eight years old, they had a smartphone and they've been on social media and all that sort of stuff. So I, 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 I think that our, uh, our new generation, our upcoming generation, you know, they're, they have a desire to unplug. You know, our generation will have the opportunity to see life without constant contact and without a Google, and, and then then subsequently we have all of that. So they'll never be able to, like you said, Brad, they don't know the difference. They've never, never experienced that. 
Have you ever, have you ever had the, the issue? My, my wife does this all the time where she'll ask a question like, hey, what movie was Harrison Ford in that, that talked about the Amish? And all of a sudden, all of my kids start on their phone. She goes, no, 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 no. Let's try to think about it and try to use our brain to remember this. Drives her crazy. Yeah, the worst example is the uh, GPS technology. Oh, oh yeah. Which is, totally I, I also say one of the great inventions of our lifetime is the, is the mapping system, right? Yeah. And, and you're, you're driving your car and it's telling you where to go. And that's a huge improvement from getting lost and pulling over in a dangerous area and whipping out a map and all that. But we've lost our natural ability <laughs> to navigate. And I, I, I discover that, like, either out on the trails or something where it's just... You know, I'm just not as attuned as I once was to just finding my way through, whether it's a city or even through a trail system. It just, it, it's noticeably different. Do you use a GPS on the trails? Oh my gosh, no. I, you know, I'm, I'm so dated with my technology. I mean, I, I quit racing professionally in 1995 and we had the heart rate monitor and thank gosh, that was the greatest innovation ever to, you know, identify the level of effort you're putting out in, in a quantifiable way, how hard you're working with all variables being considered, including humid. And people are writing into to the Primal Endurance show like, it's getting really hot here in Georgia in the summer and I'm running much slower. Can I raise my heart rate up? You know, my math training heart rate. I'm like... No, <laughs> you run slower and you walk and jog or wherever you're at, whatever the conditions are. Same with Astus Park. Is that what you say? Estes. Astus. Estus. <laughs> what did I call it? Estes. Estes. I don't know what you called it. Well, it was wrong. I, clearly. It's like Zions in Utah. Oh. It's not Zions. It's what is it? Zion. Yeah. Yeah. Zion. Yeah. So, so the G- GPS on the trail at those 200-mile races, Candace, the race director, has the entire course... Um, on a file. So you just pick up an app for free and then you upload the GPX file on there and you can see in real time where you are at, at any point. You just blow it up and you can see your little icon and you can see if you're traveling towards the next aid station, away from it, if you're off the trail, if you go 20 feet to get back on the trail, it's a real safety oh, gee, issue. And, that's and, fantastic. And it runs on um, airplane mode. Once you have downloaded the map, and it's connected to satellite, but you don't need cell coverage to do it. And it runs on the airplane mode, which means battery life is huge. So what a great asset. You know, if you're out there in the middle of a dark mountain and you're not sure where you are, you can have some confidence by opening that app up, spreading it open, and looking and seeing exactly where you are. It's did, good stuff. Did you use it much? Uh, yeah, we used it at times. and There was times there was one part of the course that was kind of vandalized and we were all looked like it was in the beginning of the race and it was at Tahoe and we all looked like we were standing around in one spot all all with our maps out trying to figure <laughs> out what was going on well I was going to say you know the reason why I asked the question is I'm a, addicted in fact on the way to the podcast I was coming from a couple hours away out in the 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 North Bay and I know how to get from that place to Don's office where we're recording the Studio podcast G. I know how to get here but I put it in my GPS. It's nice to know the time, estimated time yeah, of arrival. Yeah, but, but I, I think the reason, one of the things I like about trail running is I'm going by memory. I'm out at the trails that, that I've learned by following my mentors out there on the trail, and I'm not using any kind of GPS. I mean, I'm using GPS to keep track of what's happening, but I'm not using it to guide me, and, and I think that's probably the only time I don't. <laughs> 
Yeah, nice break. Yeah, I, I think I've lost. I never really had any. I mean, sense of direction is not a, a strength for me. I mean, it's it's uh, not good. But I think I've even become worse relying on the mapping programs. I mean, I don't. I don't, I don't think I can get, find my way out of a tunnel. I was explaining to my son the other day that before GPS, we used something called the Thomas Guide. Oh, yeah. For those of you in the U.S., you would know what a Thomas Guide is. Outside the U.S., I don't know if they had that, but it was a giant phone book looking thing that had um, varying degrees of um, resolution for maps. So it would have like, for example... Northern California, and then it would it would dial you in to get down to street level, and that's what we had. I think I had like five or six Thomas guides in my vehicle at all any given given time. Spiral bound, yes, yes. spiral bound. The page, fabulous. Yep. I wonder, yeah. oh, those poor guys. They had a good run for a hundred years because on the front the logo said since nineteen thirteen or whatever. But and dead, no. gone now. Dead yeah, now. Sorry, yeah. Thomas guide. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas guide. <laughs> With the day planner, that thing's gone too. Yeah, yeah. Palm yeah. pilot. Yeah. <laughs> no, the day planner. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was that? The, the Covey, Frank, uh, Franklin, Frank, Covey. Franklin, Covey, and all yeah, that. Yeah. Now, some people still prefer those. I mean, even like these big shots, they, you'd see those entrepreneur tip articles, and they, they like the moleskin thing. They like something yeah. in writing. I'm trying to go 100% digital in my life personally, because just because, you know, paperwork and visuals like that, I think, increase your stress level when you're trying to be productive. But then you have your screen, which is it can also do the sa- accomplish the same thing with too many windows open. And mm-hmm. some of these stats, uh, we, we, um, we, we change windows 37 times per hour. We, we interact with 37 different windows on a computer, the average office worker. Wow. And we switch our attention to a disparate task every three minutes. So we basically have three minutes of sustained focus typically when we're just going through a routine day. So get over yourself. New podcast, pretty diverse, all kinds of topics and subjects, not just wine. athletics. Wine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sleep. Wine. Sleep is one. That you've done or will be doing, or is it on? I haven't a, done one specifically about sleep, but, but it's you been, did one yeah. with an with an author. Maybe it was on primal endurance. Tell me where that one is, because I listened to that one because it's very important to me. I always I always like to speak about sleep, even though that's one of my weaknesses. I, is I, that so? It's one of your weaknesses. Yeah. I, wow. I, well, unless I'm ra- racing, then it is my strength, because <laughs> you can sleep on along oh, the trail in the long runs, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm good at that. So my my bit my best uh, trail running asset is the ability to sleep. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't make you finish the ability to, to skip sleep, you mean? No, to sleep. I, mean, oh, I, I can pull can... off the side of a trail and, and knock yeah. out 20 minutes real, real yeah. easy. So does that mean you're sleep deprived in daily life or something? No, no, no. I, I just don't. I think I try to, like most of us, try to push too much into every single day. Mm. There's a lot of things that I want to do, want to accomplish. And I know that if I, if I committed to sleep, that I would get more done with a smaller amount of time because I'd be more productive. I'd be, I'd have a higher output, more efficient. So just because I sleep, say, six hours, and if I had slept eight, I would get more done with uh, two less hours, if that made sense. I'll draw a map. Completely we'll, makes sense. We'll put, yeah. it, we'll put it in the notes. <laughs> yeah. Go look at... Um, uh, a Thomas Guide map. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Walker was on the Joe Rogan show. I, I enjoyed that. A couple hours of intensity from a sleep expert and taking yeah. some so, extensive notes on some of these, you know, shocking statistics. Like you just mentioned casually offhand, but it's, it's been proven true that your performance on cognitive tasks slows down and you get more propensity for distraction and, and less focus and less productivity. So I try to notice that point in my work day where I start to lose it a little bit 
and do something about it, which usually has been to take a 20-minute nap. And it doesn't have to be a nap, and a lot of people push back. I can't sleep. I can't nap. I'm terrible at it. It's like I train myself through repeated conscious behavior to make an unconscious habitual ability where I push on my waterfall uh, sounds mm-hmm. on my trusty iPhone since I'm addicted to technology. And I can take <laughs> a nap uh, very skillfully for 20 minutes in the afternoon and I'll wake up refreshed and I'll have an increase, a sense of increased productivity when I return to my laptop. But we're incapable of sustaining our focus for more than 20 minutes at a time. This is brain research from Stanford. I mean, proven facts that we just can't do it. And if we think we can, we're, we're fooling ourselves. Same with multitasking. Oh yeah, I can multitask because I, yeah. I, I do this while I do this. And if it's a low demand, a couple of low demand tasks, like listening to a podcast while raking the leaf, you're not a guest on the podcast. We're not raking leaves right now. Yeah. But if you're listening and raking leaves, congratulations, enjoy the fall wherever you are. But <laughs> you can do it. It's okay. It's not high demand. But if you're navigating GPS in a city streets and negotiating an important real estate transaction while you're trying to find your way somewhere, something's going to go down that's not good. I notice when I'm talking on the phone as I'm leaving my house, something bad's going to happen. Not an accident running over a black cat, but I'm going to forget something or something's Mm -hmm. not going to click into gear. And this happens over and over uh, to where I now try to call it to my attention and uh, you know, put the phone away and focus on one thing, even if it's something stupid like, I'm leaving the house now, I have to focus. Uh, but these kind of things, it's on us now to build this into our lives because the technology has been presented to us by profit-seeking enterprises that seek to get us addicted, seek to draw us in further. I uh, forget the article title, but they're talking about Facebook's tips and techniques and strategies that are now being called out and they're getting in trouble for. But when you accept a friend-like request, when you are asked to accept a request, they present you with a dozen more choices and options Mm -hmm. like some other people you might like to invite or whatever it is. And so they're trying to draw you in further. And if you try to delete your account, (laughs) uh, the account that the writer offered of trying to delete a Facebook account was step by step by step. It was elaborate. Go get your email. Click the link to make sure. It's like the backwards from you'd think joining would be tough and they want to see who you are and get your demographics. No, no. Even deleting, getting out of that trap is really difficult. Fascinating stuff. So it's on us to control the technology and use it to our advantage and use it to improve our lives. And boy, that's a a big challenge right now, man, because sleep's probably the number one thing that gets compromised from hyperstimulation, high connectivity world. And I'm fortunately coming from that athletic background when I had that nine years on the pro circuit where my job was to perform as a physical human. Um, I formed some great values and beliefs that carried me through to this day as an old guy where sleep was everything back then. And so I slept half of my life when I, when I was a professional triathlete for those nine years, I was asleep, literally asleep for half of that time. Because I slept 10 hours every night and a two-hour nap every afternoon. And if I miss my nap because there was a line at DMV or something (laughs) tweaked me a little, oh, man, I I felt it on the evening swim workout. I wasn't right. I was, you know, frustrated about it because I I knew I was compromising my potential as an athlete. And whatever I did should have been secondary to the priority of sleeping. And so when you, when you get that chance to emphasize sleep and now, of course, I'm not sleeping half my life and I'm not getting 
all the sleep that I should every single day, but it's, it's in there. It's in my belief system that this is what's going to make me most productive, have the most enjoyment, especially in relating to any athletic goal. It might as well come first and then your training comes second. So many of us have probably looked towards your role as professional athlete and said, I aspire to be that. I would, I would give anything not to have my nine to five job and be a professional athlete. What was it like to be a professional athlete? Is it as grand as it appears from the out from us looking through the window and seeing you as a professional athlete? Did you see the original Arthur movie with Dudley Moore? No. Did you see it? Yeah. yeah so classic. Don doesn't I watch can't movies. I didn't see that. It's not that I'm against. <laughs> but them. I mean Arthur. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was asked in the movie, "What's it like to have all that money?" He said, "Feels great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should watch that. Feels great. Is that a new movie to come out this year? Well, yeah. Russell Brand remake of Arthur was also outstanding. I mean, I Russell never Brand did see that killed one. it. What a funny guy, man! Yeah. But Arthur Dudley Moore. I mean, that was one of the top ten movies of all time. Oh, I missed yeah. it. Okay, so he's got. Are we still talking about sleep? No. Uh, he asked another question. Oh, okay. Because I, I want. Yeah. I, I have a topic Circle that we need back. to talk Circle before back. we yeah, end. We're going to write this down. Yeah. Sleep, Sleep is big, man. Okay. okay. All right. So, is it as awesome? Oh, that's right. Is it as awesome it as like? it appears? Uh, for me, it was a dream come true, right? Because yeah. I was a kid. I wanted to be a, a you know professional quarterback, and I was on the all-star team in flag football at, yeah. at the well, height I, of... I uh, can connect those dots. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> what, is, what am I in ninth grade? Tenth grade was high school in L.A., not ninth okay. grade. So we started high school in tenth grade. And in ninth grade, I was the all-star quarterback at five feet and I think 84 or 94 pounds. <laughs> but I could throw, I could hit the receiver, and I'm like, I'm going to be a star quarterback in high school and maybe go to the NFL. You know? sure. And then I went to the first day of high school, and the team's coming out already padded up, having done their summer hell week. I didn't know anything about it. you know. And I walked down there, and the coach is like, what do you want, kid? And I'm like, um, um, I, I want to know where... I'm your new quarterback. I, I, I want to know where the cross-country team <laughs> meeting is. And he said, down the stairs, down to the lower field, and you'll see the group. I'm like, okay. Okay, thanks. No, no, because I saw the size of the players walking uh, by. I was with my friend JB. Now he's going to have to listen to the show. Yeah. And he was going to be the receiver and I was going to be the quarterback. And then when we were walking to practice, we were arguing, like, maybe I should be quarterback and you should be a receiver. No, no, man, I'm the quarterback. You're going to be the receiver. Like, we're arguing. We walk down. We see these guys come out. We're like, holy crap, those varsity, <laughs> those varsity guys are huge, you know? They're going to kill like, us. Excuse me, where's the, the B team? That's like the freshman, sophomore team. Yeah. And the guy's like... This is the B team. I'm like, oh my God. So we went straight to the running scene and that's where you, that's where the, the runners are all a collection of misfits from, uh, cut from other sports and things like that. So that was a great community to start up in high school. But so, uh, he in still college, hasn't answered your question. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm okay. Getting there. Okay. You know, so in high it's school, it's not a straight I, line. It's kind of a curvy wavy of course, line, right? Switch of course. Back. There's to switchbacks. Have a, There's switchbacks. To have a rich answer. Um, <laughs> But in high school, I, I really got into running. My friend Stevie Deitch led the way, Steve Cobrin also. They trained so hard and were very serious. And so we got into this perfect realm of a high competitive environment where we're having a great time, having fun. Um, I was uh, 12th in the national finals of Junior Olympics. I made it to the state finals in California in the mile. So I was primed for a Division One running career. I went off to UCSB, and I got sick or injured five seasons in a row. They just mm. destroyed me. Mm -hmm. Stress fracture, mono, in bed for nine weeks with a mysterious mono-like illness, I should call it, uh, shin splints, chrondomalacia. I was just falling apart. And so I, my running career came to an inglorious end midway through college. And I said, I'm going to do this triathlon stuff. And I got on a bike the first day, 
borrowed my brother's bike. He's six three and a half. I'm five eleven, <laughs> and I rode 104 miles from UC Santa Barbara to my parents' home in Los Angeles, and that was like one of the greatest days of my life because I said, you know, I'm I'm going to rise again and let that competitive intensity unleash on a new sport. And better watch out, triathletes, because this runner this runner is frustrated from having my dreams crushed over and over as a college kid, where my identity was wrapped up into running. So I had some fun racing triathlons as an age grouper, as a as a college kid, and then uh, this this great tragedy occurred in my life, which was graduating from college. And so I went from... <laughs> a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> Not too many people would consider it graduating from college a tragedy. Go ahead, oh, Brad. Man. You have to face the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so I went from shorts and a t-shirt and thongs and a lot of days out surfing or riding my bike around UCSB campus to a suit and tie and rush hour traffic in Los Angeles, driving an hour and 15 minutes to the high rise downtown as a staff auditor for the world's largest accounting firm. And I was... I was devastated with this life transition. I could not believe that this was where I was at, at a, at a basement in a building going through new employee orientation and the fresh smiling faces around me with their new suits were eating this up and loving it <laughs> and going, did you see how generous that 401k profit sharing is? That's incredible. Of course I'm going to do the 12%. Only an idiot wouldn't go all the way to 12. I'm like, oh my God, they're talking about their retirement and we're all 20, 21 years old. And so I was the fish out of water. I lasted 11 weeks and I made the rash decision at the time to quit and pursue a career as a pro triathlete. And so this was in the, in the mid-80s when I was leaving the world's largest accounting firm, having passed half the CPA and had a nice career track for me, teed up to doing this tiny little sport that wasn't really professional at the time. There were some guys making money. You've heard of their names because they were the early legends of the sport and they had clothing deals and they won the Ironman in Hawaii and got, got a little bucks. But there was no prize money in that sense. And so it was a complete whim. And I did it for all the right reasons that we've talked about on other shows. My motivation was pure. I just wanted to pursue my potential as an athlete and compete and do something I loved and get outdoors and, you know, go biking on a new course with my trusty Thomas guide that I'd photocopied <laughs> and wedged into, you know, went and paid the, the copy store to laminate so I could have a bicycling map and exploring the mountains all over Los Angeles and meeting my friends like Andrew McNaughton, who was with me every step of the way. And we just went out there and bought plane tickets and mooched floors, hotel rooms and went on the circuit and tried it out. And it was was a wonderful time because I was doing what I loved in life. And I was not, you know, I, I was over myself because I was a nobody. Uh -huh. No one cared. I was a rookie pro racing in this obscure sport, not making any money, not having any sponsors, just going out there and jumping into a lake and swimming as fast as I could, getting on my bike, time trialing with my head down, getting off, running a fast 10K. I was an Olympic distance guy. So we swam a mile, bike 25, run 10K. And... Over time, what happened was, I might be repeating some of my story from the old show, but um, you know, I'd go out to these big races and get 24th, and then I'd get 21st, and then 17th, and my, my run split was the sixth best split of, of the day, so I'm right up there with the top pros. If I'd only been faster than five minutes behind out of the water and all that, but I always had something positive to think about, yeah. and I was improving and loving every single day. And I loved it so much that I wanted to maintain the purity of it, so on some days when I woke up and didn't feel like it, or my knee hurt, or I just didn't feel the right energy, I would turn around and go home and rest and say, it's not meant to be today. And I'm, you know, I'm doing things because I love it and I want to be the best I can be, so I'm not going to force something to happen that's not naturally meant to be. 
this lesson I had to learn over and over the hard way when I got to be Mr. Big Shot and wasn't over myself <laughs> and started to succeed on the pro circuit and have attention paid to me and sponsors and, and recognition and pressure and you know uh, business decisions and all these things in the mix. Then I'd go out there and force myself to train because I was so freaking important I couldn't take a day off. But in those early days, that first rookie year on mm. the pro circuit, when I, was, I had bottled up that magic of just being out there and being an athlete because it was my lifelong dream starting as the kid who scored four touchdowns in the flag football championships and then <laughs> quit his football career. I guess I quit on top. I never thought about that till now. <laughs> so that's my answer. It was, it was absolutely fabulous, and I learned so much. Now, that was just the first year, right? Uh, the nine-year journey was a tremendous ordeal of struggle and setbacks and failure and second-guessing and uh, you know having to come to terms with, here's my peers who also had college degrees and went on to advanced degrees and were making a name for themselves in the, in the real world. And I'm in my bathing suit running around and trying to reconcile whether this was a worthwhile use of my time in my life. And now looking back, if you got young listener here, man, go for it, whatever it is. Like my son's like, yeah, I want to go to, I want to live in Barcelona and, and watch the soccer team there, the greatest soccer team and hang out in the coffee shop and have a slower life than, than here with all the high speed and the technology and, and, and do some writing or whatever. I don't know. You know, and I'm like, that sounds like a fabulous goal. You know, there's enough high performing lawyers and accountants and doctors on the planet. We don't need another one. You can get over yourself and do something that, you know, means something to you instead. And so at the end of that first year, um, as listeners to Trail Runner Nation might know from my, my previous appearance here, uh, I, I upset the top guys in the world in this big race, and no one knew who I was, and it was the most extraordinary come from you know nowhere, uh, also ran guy, uh, underdog, and coming in. So all of a sudden, in one second, I went from a nobody to a guy who had just beat the best guys in the world. And so everything changed from that point, and I had some success, and then I started to get too deep into the importance of what I was doing, and I lost track of that pure motivation that was the magic that I started with. And so I had to go through these cycles in my career where I had to you know, face so much failure and disappointment that I was forced to second-guess myself and reconcile and go, what are you doing, dude? Why are you, you know, why are you pushing yourself when you're tired? Why are you going to these races when you know you're not in top form just because someone's giving you a free ticket or whatever these, these weird outside motivational forces are? So when I was able to recalibrate and get over myself, that's when I had the most success as an athlete. That was athletic days. That was a long time ago. But these same lessons hold true. So you guys do in your podcast, you're here because you want to connect with the endurance community and entertain them and say something of value and bring crazy guests on that go on tangents and stuff. Mostly that. Mostly that. <laughs> yeah. um, same for participating in the race. You're doing the 240 miles. How much money did you earn? Prize money. Oh, it day? cost me a lot to cost go do this. Oh, <laughs> it cost him money. He paid for the pleasure of running 240 <laughs> miles, but you're doing it for the right reasons inherently or endemically because there's not those outside forces that I face when I became a professional. And so I had to constantly, you know, calibrate myself and say, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this for, um, you know, the challenge. And therefore I'm going to pass on this race, even though I could make a few quick bucks because my ultimate goal is maybe a bigger race down the line that I want to peak for. And then later in career life, it's like, what am I doing here? Am I just here cashing a paycheck? 
Is this the highest expression of my talents? Or is the highest expression of my talents getting diverted by dollar signs and by outside forces like a boss is sending me in this direction when I feel like my calling is in a different direction? So those are really tough choices and conversations to have with yourself. But when you can do that over and over, I feel like that's when you set yourself up for not only the most enjoyment in life, but also, you know, the most uh, material success because people that do what they love are doing a great, you know, doing a great job. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a -a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. I'm pleased to present B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro-filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. So you you mentioned that that you were doing it for the right reasons, and then you got the, the big head, the ego, and that was 
um, forcing you to do stuff that was against your gut. Did you get over yourself um, and go through phases where you had to get over yourself? Or was there an aha in that nine years that you said, I need to get over myself. And once you did, you stayed there. Did you get trapped in that, in that cycle of ego versus getting over yourself? Yeah, I'm going to honestly answer that overall, I was pretty well adjusted. Mm-hmm. I didn't have these giant demons that I had to work through. And so I most of the time had a pretty cool head on and I was able to get constantly, uh, you, you get constant feedback as an athlete mm-hmm. that you're not the hottest shit on the planet because you win the, win one race and then you get 17th the next time mm-hmm. or something bad happens. Like you make a wrong turn because you don't have the fancy GPS app <laughs> that keeps you online or you crash or something. And so it's kind of hard for... Uh, a triathlete especially, to get that giant head that we see in the professional sports where these guys are making $17 million and they've never had to answer to any outside uh, element in their entire lives, including uh, the, uh, the the assistant coach that's getting a pattern of harassment and beating up his wife and the head coach looks the other way. That stuff is, wow, that's a, that's a troublesome aspect of the highest level of sport and celebrity where they're above the law and above all these other things. Nick Young, man, I love you, but he got pulled over and he's like hassling the cops and like, you know, no one's above the law and it's, it, there's a lot of tough things going on out there, but um, I didn't have that big of a problem being this complete crazy uh, egotistical jerk, but when you fall off a little bit, so I'm describing these little tweaks where I was forcing things to happen that weren't naturally meant to be, mm-hmm. and then I'd go to a race and get disappointed and I'd come home and quietly you know, ask myself, what is it about me that's not, why, why aren't I winning these races? And when you stop complaining and you get that story out and, 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 you know, vent that story out and then ask yourself that deeper question, it's like, um, maybe I don't have enough patience and not enough focus. And when I don't have enough patience and focus, that's when I make the bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Doc G in Atlanta, Georgia now. So he'll, another listener. So we're going to have at least 10 listeners on the show. That, that'll double our yeah. normal audience. <laughs> he would do a um, neuro-emotional anti-sabotage technique on me, the muscle nerve and reflex testing to identify stored emotional memories that affect your current uh, mindset or, or behavior patterns. And so he would uncover these things that impatience and focus were my struggles. And I had to settle down and you know, do the hard work necessary to succeed rather than trying to take a shortcut, which was my propensity and my personality type. You know, my favorite uh, recalibration story of getting over myself was when I won this huge race down in Orange County, California, one of the best races of my life. And I came from behind and caught this guy. And it was like, I couldn't have been more satisfied at the top of my career during the best year ever of my career, 1991, when I was ended up ranked number three in the world national champion. And I remember going down to the community pool in the San Fernando Valley the next day, Pierce College, did my swimming workout, got out of the pool. And I'd, I'd run over there from my house, a couple miles jogging. I got out of the pool and someone had stolen all my clothes. <laughs> but wait, don't you know who I am? I won the race yesterday. My picture's in the Los Angeles Times this morning <laughs> on my parents' table and tables of millions of other Los Angeles residents. I guess they didn't recognize me. So I got out of this pool and I had to run two and a quarter miles home on a busy street, Winneka Avenue, if you're from the Valley, crossing Ventura Boulevard, a massive boulevard, and I'm wearing a Speedo and goggles on my head, <laughs> jogging along. I would have held the goggles in my yeah. hand, Brad. I mean, the, the, the shame, you know? And, and, but it was, it was, I'll never forget it because it kind of, it, you know, the balance between the previous day 
when I'm getting mobbed with uh, 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 you know, athletes congratulating me and the media interviewing me and I'm sitting here and 12 people are listening to me talk. I mean, it was like, you know, a big deal. It was so exciting. It was great. And then the next day I'm jogging on the street and people are looking at me, the students. You know, I'm running from the middle of campus through a junior college campus in a Speedo and then onto the busy street and off to the home and you come home with your tail between your legs. It's good for you sometimes. Now, that, if, that, that's why I feel so comfortable wearing that awful yellow tracksuit. <laughs> Nowadays, TMZ would have caught you, saw some pictures, and, yeah. and had you all over social media. The fall of the great Brad Kearns. Now, Scott, you have a hard stop, but I have a couple more questions for Brad. Is that all right? It depends on how long his answers are. <laughs> no, I know you have a, a, a yeah. call or a meeting. So yeah, yeah, if you have to If you have to bolt in the middle of this answer. Okay, then we'll, 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 uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, so it sounds like get over yourself is something you practice today in your life. You, you're yeah. instilling that in your son. You say, go to Barcelona, enjoy, have fun, live vicariously, just be, be you and enjoy it. Don't look at some contrived uh, definition of success. What's success for you? And go do that. It sounds like you're, you're doing that in your decisions today, this new podcast, the, and the way you express your thoughts and, and putting it out there for all to consume that are interested. And, and where you've gone to being a high jumper to a speed, speed golfer. golfer. And, I mean, you've reinvented your, uh, yourself many, many times. That's true. Now, to answer your first question, probably some people would disagree since I'm showing off like crazy. If you look at my new website, bradkearns.com, and I got my pictures of breaking the Guinness World Record in speed golf, and here's my high-jumping video, and here's my this, and here's my Get over yourself, Brad. Calling all this attention to myself. <laughs> so I'm trying to be good-natured about it, and that's why my logo is this goofy guy jumping over a high-jump bar upside down where it says, get over yourself, because I'm not trying to be snotty or you know, t- take this, don't take this message wrong. So I'm trying to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm calling attention to what I'm doing, and uh, I'd love you to watch my high-jump video or my speed golf video, but I've been through, you know, I've been through a long journey in the competitive arena, especially, and I can honestly say like the, the aspects that humble you when you're out there running for 240 miles or when you're out there racing on the circuit for nine years and seeing your dreams taken away from you over and over by other athletes, pretty soon you got to smile and say, Hey, if this is what's meant to be for me, this is what's meant to be. I'm doing my best and I'm enjoying myself just because I'm doing my best and I'm putting it all out there. Johnny Wooden, Pyramid of success, um, the, the top level of the pyramid is um, self-satisfaction from knowing that you gave yourself gave the best effort you possibly could. Didn't say winning or anything like that, just the self-satisfaction from giving the best effort. So I'm doing that with the podcast. If people think I'm full of myself instead of over myself, that's fine because maybe it'll be a lesson when they're typing the message and getting out that anger and wondering where that anger is coming from. <laughs> so whatever, man, that's, that's my answer. I forgot the other question. Oh, I've this is important. I want to comment because, you know, I finished racing 23 years ago and now I'm, you know, old guy, 53. But I think it's really important for, for the duration of your life to have some compelling competitive goals, whatever that is. If it's ballroom dancing, it doesn't have to be sports. In my case, it is. So I've transitioned over to like pursuing this world record uh, for the fastest single hole of golf ever played. It's an official Guinness world record. Mm. I have a whole podcast show where I talk for an hour about it because <laughs> it was such a fun thing for me to do. How but long did like, it take you to do? I, I did a, a 500 yard hole. That's the rule. It has to be a minimum length of 500. So that's a par five. It's a uh-huh. long hole. And I did it in a minute 38. 
And so if you look on my website, there's a nice video on YouTube of me ripping through this hole and making a birdie while running full speed and only using one club. So it was like the most incredible clutch performance of my life because it was like it was like magic touched me where I hit these four perfect shots, including putting with a three wood, chipping with a three wood, oh, wow. hitting the first two shots with a three wood. That's fine. I'm hitting as far as I can. I'm up by the green. And then I had to practice these delicate shots with the wrong club over and over for months. And it all came through on this one day. I actually broke the record twice, once in Sacramento, once in LA. But I had these great peak performance experiences where it's no big deal. There's not a thousand. I didn't make money. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like winning a race on the pro circuit. But for me, it was exactly like winning a race on the pro circuit because it was that special satisfaction of doing something that I had a, you know, compelling goal to pursue. I did a methodical approach. I tried my hardest. My family and friends were supporting me there because for a Guinness record attempt, you have to have like a dozen people there to film it, time it, still photograph it, official witnesses, all this paperwork to submit. So it was like a lot of pressure on me because it wasn't just me out there, you know, with a, with, with a stopwatch, you know, going for this record privately. It was like an orchestrated event. So I had to, had to plug that. But that's a, a good thing that you brought up. That's whatever we're doing, whatever we're going for, to have a little edge to your life rather than sitting back and watching NFL on Sundays. Sorry, NFL. Your sport is too violent. We need to remove it from our culture quickly, yeah. hopefully in the next 10 years. But if you're just a spectator the rest of your life, just because back in the day you played high school basketball, that's not good enough. There's better inside that you can come out and find something fun to do, and it could be as you know something as, uh, as simple as doing your longest uh, trail run going from a 10K to a half marathon, whatever it is. It's a fantastic opportunity to, to better yourself. I have one quick question on the world record. Um, do you, is there a rule that you have to eat, do par or less? You said it was a birdie. Yeah. Could you double bogey and sure. still win it? Yeah. But here's the okay. thing. Like, and you, you'll read my blog post about it and my show. Um, do you know what a double bogey is Freeman? Yes. Okay. A lot of strokes. <laughs> the str- even one extra stroke. Like takes, a pick six. <laughs> yeah. It's bad news. So like the, the idea in your mind that you're hockey pucking and just whapping the ball, whapping the ball, whapping yeah. the ball, it's going to be slower than some guy who's making a birdie because it takes so much time to yeah. stop, set up, hit the shot. But I got a bogey in Sacramento. I hit a couple bad shots, but they were straight. Uh-huh. And so they didn't interrupt me more than one second or something. So it was only two seconds slower with a six in Sacramento than with this four. But when you get down to you know, racing through these holes, you got to hit the ball straight. you got to hit it in front of the hole. And I hope that there's some more attention to this record and guys are going to go for it around the world. I'm getting you know, reports through the Facebook Speed Golf Group like, that's awesome. I'm going to try that. So it's just a fun little offshoot of the regular sport of speed golf. I need, I need to watch the yeah. video. Which I need to go to oh, brandcurtains.com. It'll, it'll light you up, man. It'll, hey, it'll light you up. Which um, shoes do you wear? Do you wear golf shoes or do you wear a set of track shoes? I wore these custom Nike spikes, these prototypes that Christopher Smith gave me, the, the greatest speed golf uh, player of all time, my, my guru in Port, uh, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, he got them from Nike because they're testing out a speed golf shoe. Mm. So those things, yeah, those things help my performance a little bit, but... You got you to hit the ball. You got to hit the ball straight and knock the putt in. Now, now our la- my, the last topic that I really did want to talk to Brad about, really the, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today is about, um, and you know, Julie and I, Julie Fingar and I, we, we go way back, and she's, you've been her mentor for a long time, and subsequently some of her knowledge that you gave her has filtered down to me. And so we often talk, what would BK do? 
You know, what, you know, he would say, take it easy, rest, get over yourself. You don't need to be out there every single day pushing, pushing, and breaking yourself. Have confidence in your, in your preparation. Feel good about what you've done. And don't think you need every single workout to be a 10 for you to perform well on race day. To, to give yourself that, that uh, permission to have a bad day and don't let it become define you. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, that, that right there, if every runner can internalize that, they would be way ahead of the game. And I think we have to, like I was trying to describe when I was a racing athlete, like ask those hard questions like, what am I doing out here? And what's my purpose? And what impure influences are, are, are in the mix? And so if you're running to get away from something in daily life, it might be a good coping strategy, probably better than sitting at the dark bar <laughs> at 5.15 p.m. and slamming down too much alcohol. Right. But if those things are in play, those are going to be in conflict with your stated goals like achieving peak performance and, and being the best athlete you can be uh, in terms of a finish time or something. And so a lot of times I think the athletes are training for other reasons rather than a pure devotion to peak performance. And part of it's enjoyment, uh, experience with nature, uh, you know, breaking up the long sedentary patterns that we have in daily life. And those are all laudable things to do. Uh, but when it comes to that, I'd say slow the F down so that you're not stressing your body because we're in the biggest problem in endurance is the overstress patterns that endurance athletes engage in in the name of preparing for this crazy challenging event that the, the 24 hour or the, the 100 mile or the, the 50K where we feel uh, a sense of you know, anxiety, insecurity, all those human emotions that come up for us when we imagine what's going to happen on November 4th when the gun goes off. So we better get our butt in gear here in August. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes can be um, an unhealthy approach, an unhealthy mindset where it's better to relax, trust the process of fitness to happen in its natural and in due time, and never force something to happen that's not meant to be. So take what your body gives you every day and nothing more and pay attention to those signs. And I remember getting very good at that. I, I developed a skill of going out for 13 minutes on my run and then doing an assessment on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm planning to do 12. I'm going to go down to the river on the Western States Trail, cross No Hands Bridge, go up Stagecoach, uh, back onto the railroad track. It's going to be about 12 miles. And at the 12-minute mark of my 12-mile run, I'd go, huh, I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling it today. You know, I'm just mm -hmm. not feeling it. Turn around. The voice inside me is saying, turn around and go home. And to develop the ability to listen to that voice and go back when it wasn't the right day was a tremendous benefit to my career. Uh, on the flip side, because I know that doesn't sound as fun as doing that 12. Sure. You got to expand your horizons, man. And Johnny G did that for me, the great uh, fitness celebrity that invented the, the spinning indoor cycling program. He was a finisher of the race across America, the nonstop bicycle race. He yeah. rode from coast to coast in 10 days. Absolutely phenomenal. That's 300 miles a day on wow. a bike almost nonstop, a few hours of sleep here and there. Um, but he expanded my horizons of what a long ride really meant because we thought that 100 miles on the bike was a long ride. And his perspective was that 200 miles was representing a long ride. And so he'd take me out there and we'd keep going and going and going until my brain had to, you know, reset. And instead of cry and pull over to the side of the road and say, well, it's 120 now. Yeah. That's as far as my body goes because I'm not used to this. I had to keep pedaling. And when you finish a 200-mile ride, your mindset is forever recalibrated as to 
what you're capable of, what represents a long ride, and all those things are wonderful growth experiences where you bust out of your comfort zone. So, so how would you advise an athlete to recognize comfort zone versus um, uh, comfort zone? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, uh, Finish my are question. you a wimp? Yeah. Are you a wuss? Right. Or are you, do you have what it takes to be a real performer and a real competitor in ultra? Where's that drawing the line? Am I, when I sleep in because I'm feeling a little hot and stuffy uh, and my, my hamstring is still stiff, am I, am I being a wuss? Or am I being a really evolved athlete who doesn't want to overtrain? I think I can answer that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's tough, So, man. so I'm going to throw this at you and have you bounce it back. I think you've already established yourself. Anybody listening to this has done something long and hard for a duration. They've established themselves. They've qualified as a tough athlete. And so go ahead and, and enjoy that label and then recognize that when you need to rest, because we get stronger when we rest, right? That's when we build and, and get stronger. You've already done the work. So give yourself permission to be that athlete and if you feel that sensation, I don't feel energetic. I don't feel like I have spring in my legs. I feel like I'm just slogging through this thing. Then turn it around at 12 minutes and go back home. And tomorrow have that stellar day. Yeah, here's this um, mind-blowing insight I got from this guy named Joel Jameson, who's a prominent uh, trainer and thought leader in the MMA world. So he trains world champion MMA fighters yeah. who you want to argue who are the finest athletes, all-around athletes on the planet. I'd say fighter or NBA yeah, maybe a soccer player, but these guys are performing like, you know, talk about rest and recovery and the importance of doing it right. Mm -hmm. um, amazing. And this guy just, maybe he phrased it in a way that just gave me a, an epiphany, but he has this thing called the uh, recovery, recovery based training method. And so the concept that you have a pie chart of how much energy you have to devote to uh, in a week. You have 168 hours and you have a certain amount of energy that energy output that you're capable of. And when you allocate a certain pie slice to your endurance training goals and your weekly mileage, your workouts, whatever, you're, you're going to go in the gym and do a session. So this all counts into this one pie slice. You also need to allocate a pie slice to recovery and restoration. In other words, recovery requires energy in and of itself. It takes energy, it takes you know, cellular energy to refresh the sodium-potassium pumps in your brain neurons so that you can think. So when you stop thinking and rest and take a nap, you're still using up energy during the nap to refresh and recalibrate. When you stop running and start slamming the uh, recovery uh, potions and lotions and smoothies and whatnot, your body is restocking glycogen, rebuilding broken down muscle tissue. All these repair processes are taking place. They take, they require energy. And I never thought about that in that context. I was always train, train, train. And then when you're tired, you go rest and you sit on the couch and you watch a movie. And then you're a really smart athlete. It's like, that's fine. But you have to understand on a different dimension now that that sitting on the couch, you are burning up energy in that recovery state. It's not a free pass or it's not independent from a pie slice where you're like, okay, work 40 to 50 hours a week, trail running 12 to 14 hours a week, uh, volunteering at the, uh, the church Sunday basketball league three hours a week. Recovery is a pie slice in and of itself. That part blew my mind when I started thinking about it. I'm, I'm rehashing the conversation going, holy crap, I've never thought about it that way. And then to add that on, to mess with your mind a little further, the harder you train, the bigger the recovery pie slice needs to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you train harder, you need to sleep more. If you, you know, if you train less, 
um, you actually end up burning more energy during the day in daily life. Uh, and so they have this thing called the, um, the constrained model of energy expenditure, and it's derived from studies of the Hadza hunter-gatherers in Tanzania. And they found that these active, busy hunter-gatherer folks burn around the same amount of calories as an average working Joe in a uh, modern world. And it's because uh, the more you train, let's say, the less calories you burn at rest and the more lazy you, lazier you are in general. So the ultra-running community putting in those big mileage, these are the people that slum for the closest parking spot at Costco instead of walk, or they, they walk their dog a block instead of seven blocks like the, the elderly person on the next street that is out there every night uh, doing the, the whole circuit of the neighborhood. And that was a mind blower for me because I remember being an athlete and being either horizontal or near horizontal or training. There was no in-between. I wasn't like, you know, uh, on a whim walking my dog for uh, a mile in the evening because we'd ran eight in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I used to drive to my mailbox. It was six tenths of a mile from my house, not bicycle, drive <laughs> every day because at the end of the day, I was too tired because I'd ridden 84 miles that day. Why should I bike another 1.2 or if I'd run a long run? Uh, but now we realize that no matter how hard we train, we make up for it and we have this constrained uh, amount of energy that we expend each day. So the insight there is that harder training, more rest. And rest not defined as watching a movie on the couch, but sleeping? No, no. The rest, on, watching a movie on the couch is fine. Okay. And toning it down like being a lazy ass at work and, and you know, driving around the corner to the sushi buffet or whatever. But we have to take into consideration that um, if we maybe led a more generally active lifestyle where mm -hmm. we did 20 air squats every time we were going to go to the water cooler and did some stretches and got into the stand-up desk scene rather than the sitting thing, and when we're on the subway, uh, we can do some uh, air squats again or, or you know add in more general activity during daily life, we're going to be a fitter athlete, and we're not going to be a high, as high a risk of overtraining from just training, 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 and then sitting on our butts and having our muscles atrophy and all those things. Got but it. the, you know, the insight that rest inside your body when you're resting, all kinds of stuff's at work, it, costing you energy. It's an energy expenditure. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So when you put more, more hours of training in, that other piece of the pie grows as well. And you can't ignore that. You've got to be aware of it. Well, here's what happens, according yeah. to Joel, is that every athlete compromises the recovery slice of pie. I made up the slice of pie thing. Yeah. They just train too hard, and then what's going to happen is injury, illness, breakdown, burnout, hormonal problems, all the things that we think are normal. Um, Kelly Starrett's work, the Ready to Run, his book, and I think it was like, it was 80% or 60% of runners get hurt every year, hmm. right? Overuse injury. And the overuse injury generally suggests that you weren't devoting enough time to rest and recovery. Possibly your uh, flexibility, mobility uh, efforts are also deficient. Starrett says that um, you should spend 15 minutes of every exercise hour doing flexibility, mobility drills. Let's say like holding a deep squat for more than 30 seconds or uh, doing uh, the, the, the lunges and the mini lunges and things that I do after, uh, at the end of every single run. I spend about five minutes doing drills. And the drills are pretty tough, hamstring kickouts and things that I'll get, you know, breathing hard and they're strenuous, but they're kind of uh, keeping me resilient and preventing injury because I do them all the time rather than just do the run and then go sit in a chair. Brad Kearns, 
Thank you so much. Always, always fun. And for Scott, too, who had to leave to, to make commerce happen. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Get over yourself the new podcast. So your list of podcasts now, Primal Endurance. Yes. Get over yourself. And uh, the Primal Blueprint, we have a show about keto every week. So, yeah, I'm doing a lot of podcasts, man. Yeah, just yeah. Just like you guys. How many, how many shows do you guys do? We're, we're cl- well, just, just one, just this one. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and how, many, how often? One a week? One a week, yeah. and that's, so we're you... committed to that. And we've got about 400 episodes out there now. <sighs> and uh, we just love, love talking to people. That's really what it's about, right? I mean, Scott and I have often said if it was just he and I, we'd have been done at, you know, episode one and a half. We would have just stopped and looked at each other, and that would have been it. But it's great people like you that come on and, and uh, all the other guests that you can see on, on that lineup. It's just wonderful to sit and talk for an hour and 24 minutes, Brad. Just killing it. Just talking about stuff and all of it very interesting. So thank you for teaching me and teaching the rest of the folks that, that listened. And uh, best of luck on Get Over Yourself. I'm going to listen to it. I listened to your other one. I'm going to listen to that one too. Here's the music. Dun, 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 Is that dun. your music? That's my music. You'll know. The listener will get excited how well I did that. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6 by 6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from Almost Heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have a sauna experience, the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures. Get that sweat going. These are beautiful, traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks, go in there and relax. It's become a social centerpiece at my home. People traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs. And pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business.